0: Hello, and welcome to the Work Alchemy Podcast, Conversations About Impact, where entrepreneurs and leaders share how they have impact, the sweet moments, and the challenges. I'm your host, Ursula York. I help entrepreneurs grow successful businesses that make a difference in the world. Impact is more than mission, more than purpose, even more than your why. Impact is where your unique self and business meet the world and contribute to making it better for all of us. These stories are here to inspire and energize you so you can have your own unique impact. Today's guest on the podcast is Kathy Caprino. Kathy is a career and leadership coach, senior Forbes contributor, TEDx speaker, LinkedIn influencer, and podcast host of Finding Brave, which is ranked top 100 in the Apple Career Podcasts. Her mission is to support the advancement of women in business around the globe. Welcome to the podcast, Kathy. I'm delighted to have you here.
1: Oh, I'm so grateful to be here. I can't wait, or so thank you for having me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's it's my pleasure. I so enjoyed reading your book, and we'll delve into some things um, in the book. But you obviously have a much bigger body of work than that. But let's start with something from the book, the the most powerful you your most your recent book, and um, I it was interesting to read your perspective on. Um, women globally have, we as women and people perceived as women, I guess, have the same types of difficult and debilitating challenges that men just don't seem to have the same challenges. Oh, and right. in in that recognition, um, something that you wrote was there, you kind of wanted to, to understand what's missing for women and Um, Can you speak a little bit to that? And and Mm -hmm. also, is that a little bit kind of in the realm of of blaming the victim, or is this something that you see as uh, a a real thing outside of cultural and systemic things that also need to change? I love this question. So before
1: I I talk specifically about that, Ursula, can I give you just a two-minute context of why... I'm doing this work and and what I've personally experienced that led to this sure. would that be all Yeah, right? please
0: do. Yeah. So absolutely. I
1: had an 18-year corporate career and it was successful on the outside but not successful on the inside. It was bumpy, bumpy, bumpy and when I hit 40 and I'm 60 now, those bumps turned into full-blown crises. Uh, sexual harassment, gender discrimination, mm-hmm. Chronic illness, zero work-life balance, toxic colleagues, narcissistic bosses, before I even knew what narcissism was. <laughs> uh, and that, But worse than all of that was waking up every day saying, is this the work I'm going to be doing? Speaking of your great work about impact, I, I, in my soul, I wanted to make an impact and I felt mm-hmm. that there was just no way in this career. So the, the, quickly, I, I couldn't figure out what to do. What am I going to do? Chuck this whole career? You know, my, my family needed the money I made. I just stayed stuck, and I know why that is now. You know, for all those reasons.
0: Yeah, but and it's a daunting thing
1: to think about changing your career. And yeah. you know, you we've all heard the question: If you won the lottery, what would you do? Most people can't answer that. If you could answer it, you'd be doing it. Some of it, you know. <laughs> right. So I did nothing. And after one month after moving to a bigger home, where financial burdens really was nine eleven, and one month after that, I was laid off. Off.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was so crushing, really so crushing in a breakdown moment that I, I knew something huge had to change. And it's all in the book. But long story short, I became a therapist. I, I decided I want to stop hurting people and being hurt.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: became a therapist and that morphed into coaching. So I think your key question was that was a you know a long, a long story here, but I've been working with women for 15 years, thousands of women. And when you are in that kind of situation where it's research every day, right? When you're hearing from so many women, um, what, what I did see and do believe with all my heart after you know, my own research and, and you know extensively talking to lots of people around the world, that women are experiencing these gaps uh, for two critical reasons. One, we live in a patriarchal world and this is, or society. This is not to bash men at all. No. This is just to talk about the system we live in. And uh, we can go into that in depth later. But what happens in a patriarchal world is we have rigid ideas of what the feminine and the masculine are. And in this kind of system, women, in many ways, starting at age 13, go underground.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, my hope here is, and and I've had a few people over the years say, I think you're blaming the victim. That is not what I'm, in. you know, that's not my intention. My intention is to help us rise above potential victimhood Mm -hmm. for us to, so, you know, I I say this a lot. When people want to have impact, there are many ways we can, individually, culturally, institutionally, organizationally, uh, societally. My thrill and joy is to intervene at the individual level. Mm-hmm. I'm not a leadership coach where I'm turning companies around from the C suite. I'm going for individuals because I see that when we grab the reins, when we say I see what these challenges are, I understand them, but I am going to become braver and more powerful and I'm going to be an, a change agent for myself, we rise above victimhood. Mm-hmm. So that's my answer to that question. Did I answer both your facets of your question. yeah,
0: yeah, absolutely. yeah. I mean, and and I think um, you know, you make a really good point. there's something that you said um, later in the book, I'm um, just um, where I mean this this kind of internalized perception that people tend to have about strong women and people who speak up, it's right. it's not valid. And the more we do so, and this is you, uh, saying this in the book, the more the world will change for the better, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. And I think we're in a tough in-between stage, mm-hmm. between here and there. What do What are your thoughts on that? Well, you're right
1: in that we're faced with. So I I need to say this, in a patriarchal world, and I've learned all this from Terry Reel, who's a best-selling author and a couples therapist, and he's an expert in this dynamic. In a patriarchal world, we split ourselves in half. We understand what the feminine looks like and what the masculine, and I'm doing that in quotes, right? The masculine Mm -hmm. is strong, invulnerable, not emotional, dominant, um, you know, gets it done, right? The feminine is soft, malleable, pleasing, accommodating, emotional. In that world, a woman who is assertive and confident and powerful. It is just happening over and over. They're punished. We're punished. We're penalized. And we all know what this means. You know, I was called the word, you know, I can't say it here, biatch, for the same things my male counterpart was getting promoted for. Right. right. And I,
0: you can say it here. Oh, I can, bitch.
1: (laughs) So, uh, and how many women are nodding? Right. And I, I talk about in the book that I was called a buzzsaw by by a senior vice president. Mm. And he said it with a smile, but I said, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And he said, you get stuff done where other people don't. Yeah, but would a man be called a buzzsaw? Never. Mm. So we're in in between in that we still have these rigid roles, but the thing is, you don't change. I like to say this, insight doesn't tend to change your life. It's action. That changes your mm-hmm. life and changes the world. Mm-hmm. How are we ever going to change this dynamic until the world begins to see more women who are and this is the interesting thing. You can be assertive and still gentle and loving and spiritual. You know, this this is another Absolutely. Reason I wrote this book. Women have said to me, I don't want power. And I say, Why? And they say, Because power is abused today. I I want to grab people by the collar when, when, if they say that and ask them to listen to this. You can't have what you want. You can't create what you want, impact or otherwise, if you're not powerful. Mm -hmm. So the fact that it's abused doesn't mean you're going to abuse it. Um, You know, Power in and of itself is not abusive. So you can't shun it. But yes, we're still going to get penalized, but you know in the book i talk about i've interviewed some wonderful people about how we can be powerful and assertive
0: and confident but not leave body parts in our in our way yeah yeah i mean it's it's our perception of what powerful means and the most kind of egregious examples of uh, people misusing or abusing power is that's what it's come to stand for rather than right. being a vehicle or a tool that you can use to further everyone's better well-being. It's really true. I mean, if you ask a thousand
1: people what their definition of power is today, I haven't mm-hmm. done that, but I'll, I'm going to throw that up on LinkedIn. <laughs> I'd love to see what people say, but it's going to have a different
0: twist than it did 20 years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why, what do you think? It, it, how is it different from 20 years ago? I think there's... Uh,
1: uh, a negative dark side to it. Now, <sighs> I think it's it. You know, I like to say the power I'm talking about is not power over; it's power to, power to create, to be a force for good. It's not power over people. If you ask me, what's happened? You know, even not to get political, but even in the past four years, power has become putting our thumb over people suppressing mm-hmm. people demeaning people tearing people down belittling people you know that's the opposite of positive power but it's all we see and you know i i love social media i've got a huge following on linkedin linkedin's kind of changed my entire career uh <laughs> but it is so misused it's so misused people you know there's so much research about when we can't see the recipient of our of our message Right. we're much more hurtful and damaging and abusive and that's what yeah. happened i mean take a look <laughs> we you know you have to be under a rock not to see how cool people have become hmm.
0: well and, and and it's a lot more visible um because of for the same reason for so, right. social media and yeah i think there's a way in which prior social constraint Kind of the all bets are off in the sense that you don't have direct responsibility or or the repercussions don't hit you because you put it out into this void. Um, What can seem like that and and uh, yeah, can be quite hurtful. Well,
1: can I say something
0: about that quickly? Please do.
1: Um, I did a post that went viral on Forbes. uh, What is feminism and why do so many men and women hate it? Hmm. And then I did a Facetime live and put that on. YouTube. Holy crow. Um, I mean, the, <laughs> I've never been on the receiving end of such murderous rage. Wow. Really? And two separate men wrote, shut up, you dumb C word. Wow. And women hated on it too. And my daughter who was, this was a few years ago, she's 26 now, came in and said, mom, what do you think's going to happen on YouTube? It's completely uncontrolled whereas on forbes and on linkedin you can see who the person is and yeah. it's unbelievable how much more respectful people are on those platforms you know
0: interesting yeah huh well there's an accountability that's right it. wow well i'm sorry you were at the receiving end of that i i'm not i'm i'm puzzled too about what the uh, why there's such vitriol around that word feminism and to me it just means that we're all um that there's equity and that women are capable and if they choose they should be able to pursue whatever they we should be able to pursue whatever it is that we choose without censure or or being held back by purely by the virtue of the fact of being a woman but i it obviously has much uh different meaning for some people. Right. And
1: you know, I just interviewed Laura Gallagher, who is an organizational psychologist yesterday mm-hmm. on my podcast that's coming out in a few weeks. She said something that I I never had thought of that I think addresses this. She says in communication and she says it much more eloquently and in a researched way, but we can't listen calmly when what is being said is perceived to threaten our very existence. Yeah. And that is, I think, what's happening. Yeah. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm a liberal. And um, when I hear, and I believe in, uh, you know, sustainability and protecting our climate and, and our, uh, our planet, if someone has a differing view, I will go to that reptilian brain place where i get flooded and thank goodness you know i'm a trained therapist so i can calm myself down but mm-hmm. i think that that's what's happened here that in some way the divide between people um makes us feel like our very
0: existence is
1: threatened on either side um, would you agree with
0: that yeah. I, I agree, and i I think that maybe perhaps why things have become so divisive is because the the onslaught of that kind of reptilian brain triggering is constant now constant. It's, and even pre, even before the pandemic and the p- pandemic, I think just in some ways has exacerbated that, but 100%. Um, mm-hmm. yeah well, even in the the context of of those things happening i I think women are still um, coming forward. The Me Too movement has uh, obviously gained a lot of momentum, and I've at least been noticing that women are more willing uh, to step into having their voice. I mean, when I watched AOC's response to... um, some of the terrible treatment she underwent i was so encouraged by her eloquence and dignity mm-hmm. and and what she had to say and I, I i'd like to explore this whole experience of having your voice i i recently created this fierce women forum where we group we had small panels talking about Women being heard without censure, without tone policing, without being managed—all the things that women deal with on a regular basis—and I'd, I'd love to hear um, from you about women having their voice and um, how can we do that, even in the face of these things happening. You
1: know, it's it's so interesting. I I can't even answer that question without—and some of this is the therapeutic training and and my what's on my radar, which is this, you know, you read in the book that I said, we are what our childhood taught us to be.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And we, unless we've unlearned it. And so you, I, in my view, you can't even begin to talk about your voice till other things are examined. So let me give an example what I mean. I'm, I'm working with one woman who is really a a brilliant at what she does And she's been starting to be pushed out. And she could see it, but she we work together. I'm a career coach. You know, here's what you need to do. Here you need to go see a lawyer, whatever. But the inevitable happened where it looks like it's it's coming, that she's gonna get Mm. fired. Hmm. What happens to women, and I you know, I work with men as well, not to the extent to women, but I don't think this happens with men we immediately make ourselves wrong we mm-hmm. immediately say i blew this it's my fault i'm not worthy i'm not val- valuable i mean i lived mm-hmm. this when i got laid off uh, with a hundred other people it was wrong uh, and the reasons were, that were given to me were not accurate they were lies what did i do ursula i mean i just internalized it i mm-hmm. felt like the loser I felt like I was kicked to the to the curb. So you can't have a strong voice until you do the work of understanding what you've internalized. And that's not even just in a patriarchal world, but what your mother and father taught you. Sure, yeah. So for me, for instance, uh, I was watching Tony Robbins' uh, I Am Not Your Guru, the documentary, and he... Mm-hmm. Almost uh, nothing do I remember except this question because I fell off my chair. He said, who did you, in childhood, who did you crave love from most and who did you have to be to get it? Mm. And instantly what came to me was I had to be obedient for my mother and brilliant for my father. Mm. When you have these kinds of things, think about being obedient. You're not going to have a voice. Because challenging authority is too scary. So, I think your question is you know, how do we build that voice? I would say start from the beginning. Who are you? What do you believe about yourself? What do you believe about your worth, your value? Start building that. And, you know, when we look at the seven damaging power gaps that the book talks about, number one is not recognizing your special talents, abilities, and accomplishments. This is women. They might be able to say, I don't know, I'm good at digital marketing. I'm 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 a mediator, I'm good at communicating. But when I ask, what are you great at, Ursula? You wouldn't believe it. They don't want to say they're great. And I say, look at what you just, I have something called the career path assessment that clients fill out. And one of the questions is, you know, what are your achievements you're most proud of? What do you think you stand out about? They can't answer it. And when Mm -hmm. I say, look at what you just told me your five jobs were, you don't think you're great at this, this, and this? Well, no, because I can't assess if I'm great and I'm afraid someone else is going to say I'm not. Mm -hmm. Well, this is the work that has to be done before you can
0: even have a voice. Does that make sense? yeah i I think that um, it's it's can be really challenging for women to even speak up what's considered strongly by saying, This is what I'm great at. Mm. I mean, it's it's so interesting that we've been enculturated into not even being able to say that without some form of, or at least fear of some, some kind of censure. And often we have experiences that kind of uh, validate that. (laughs) Well, yeah. And, and taint your perspective. And um, you know, you, you refer to this too, about when something happens and or you don't like what you're doing that you, you start to think you're the problem. So um, Yeah. yeah, it's, it's kind of a pervasive thing. So
1: and you know in speaking with Terry Reel who i mentioned before he mm-hmm. his work is so powerful but he said he's seen this dynamic that he calls the core collusion yeah that actually in a world where there's a dominant group whether that's race or you know gender whatever it is that the less dominant actually protects the abuser
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and i talk in the book about how i did that and i as i was doing it i deleted an email that would have proven sexual harassment i deleted it yeah as i'm leaving the office at, on my last moment there mm-hmm. and i remember being so confused why do you want to delete this but i i couldn't stop myself i just pressed delete and you know all these years later 20 years later i know why I was in part protecting the very person that did it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So th- there's deep, deep things going on here.
0: Yeah. I, I think there's a, I mean, you say it in the book that there's a profound instinct to protect the masculine side uh, on the part of whoever inhabits the feminine side of the equation, whatever that looks like. Right. Maybe. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, we've, we've, kind of talked about the the issues to some degree and and uh, of course there's much more to it than that. I, I wonder for an entrepreneur, something that you also talk about in the book is uh, someone doing great work and offering great value but they don't make money. They don't make money at it and it's different in a job because once you have it you're obviously paid what you're paid, even that, right. even though that may be undercompensated. But um, what are some things happening for entrepreneurs in this kind of situation? And, you know, I am one, so I've lived all this. <laughs> for women, right. you know,
1: this is gap number three, reluctance to ask for what you deserve. Uh, first of all, you know, when we're talking business, so let's take my business. You know, I have a, uh, an array of services. I have a course. I have a certification training. I have one-on-one coaching. I have products um, and, and all sorts of other training. Part of it is, if you ask me, you know, I have a bugaboo about... We all have values. We all value certain things. I value mastery. I value... If you're an entrepreneur and you're offering a service you better make sure it's the top of your to, you're at the top of the game yeah. that what you, there's mastery there i mean it really makes me crazy when people come out and they're promoting themselves as personal branding experts or marketing experts or entrepreneurial experts and they're broke and they're not successful and the way they're making money is to rook other people into thinking they can train them to be successful you, you know it, it's it's a scam and it's everywhere uh, but what we have to do is make sure that what we're offering is at the top of the game, and then we have to understand who we want to serve and the pricing around that. And you know, for women, that is an incredibly complex thing. There's so much emotion around it. I mean, you know, for some people, they think, um, you know, I'm just starting out. I can't compete with someone who's been doing it 15 years. I don't know what to charge. Other people think they're worth five hundred dollars an hour, and they're not. And they don't know how to vet that. They don't know how to understand and and figure out uh, in a measurable way what the value is that they offer. They don't know how to talk about their services in a in a competitive way that makes them shine. You know, I I think what I see for. In in fact, let me quote uh, Susan Sabat. I think we pronounce her name. She was, I interviewed her for Forbes, my Forbes blog, when she was the head of Amex Open. And I asked mm-hmm. her, what is the big difference between male and female entrepreneurs? And I quote her in the book too. She said, here's what I see. And this holds women back. If you ask men, do you think you can scale this idea? They don't hesitate. <laughs> they go, of course. Women, yes. I'm not sure. Right. I'm not sure I can do that. Number two, when you talk numbers, men are on it. Not all men. Please know I'm not painting every man with the same brush or every woman with the same brush. Okay. But this is what the research shows. Women say, I'm not comfortable with the numbers. I'll have to do, I have to hire someone to do the numbers. That's the kiss of death when you're an entrepreneur.
0: Yeah, You've got it early on.
1: Right. Number yeah. three, um, delegating. You can't scale your business if you're doing everything. And women are what I, very high-achieving women, are what I see I call perfectionistic overfunctioners.
0: Yeah, I love that term. I love it too. And I learned, well, to, go ahead, are you yeah. one? Are you a recovering I, one? Uh, I am a recovering one, and I, I thought it captured the, the situation very clearly, but I'll let you explain what, that, what you mean by that. Well, I, I learned
1: over uh, overfunctioning and underfunctioning when i was a marriage and family therapist that many couples have an underfunctioning person and an over-functioning, over-functioning person and the dynamic is stuck the <laughs> overfunctioner wants to overfunction you know is driven to do that and the underfunctioner is comfortable not not you know pulling their weight for lots of reasons well for women what i see is Women are doing more than is healthy, appropriate, and necessary in their life, in their family, and in their work. And there's a perfectionistic layer that they're trying to get an A plus in everything they do. And they kind of can't live with themselves if they're getting a B or a C in some facet. Well, you're just not going to succeed at the highest level if this is what you're doing. And Mm. it's, it's from a driven fear. It's from uh, if, I, if I'm not perfect, I'm not going to be liked. I'm not going to be accepted. I'm not good. Right. So
0: I think that's what's happening in an entrepreneurial uh, perspective as well. Yeah. And it has broader implications too. I mean, not just the confidence to say, yes, I can make this scale or yes, I can make this business work, but it's even in the, I mean, if you're undercharging, you're attracting problem mm-hmm. clients, people that are just not willing to see the value of what it is that you offer. And and you're kind of in this right. inter, kind of a dysfunctional interplay around that that doesn't serve you or them or the business. You're so right. You know, when I decided to raise
1: my rates significantly as a one-on-one coach, it was almost like I could feel, how do I describe it? it everything went... <laughs> Like uh, everything got sucked away, meaning the people I had been serving, they all disappeared because my rates were too high for them. But to your point, when you're not charging what the value is that you're giving, you're attracting a lot of negativity and a lot of boundary problems and a lot of people that don't actually want to do the work Um, you know, there's a lot of research on should you offer something, even when you charge uh, $1 for something versus free, there's more skin in the game, right? Therapists have, you know, seen that in their practice. Um, uh, But what happened is it was a paradigm shift and it took a little while, I'd say about three months, but then what I started to do, do was attract the level of person who was making the kind of impact that I wanted to work with. Hmm. But to your point, it shifts. And if you're not uh, steadfast with what you believe the value to be of what you're offering, you're going to get scared and you're going to cave.
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's a frightening thing to do. To to make a change is scary. Mm -hmm. And to make a change based on what you know about yourself in terms of the value that you offer, it's Particularly frightening for women, I think, for the reasons we've already talked about. Right? Can I offer a tip on this,
1: um, which I seem to be saying every single day of the week? (laughs) Um, Women are deathly afraid of sounding like a braggart. So Mm -hmm. I want to say this: I can go on. I'm on LinkedIn a lot every day, and I teach about it and how to network on it, etc. I can see in about five minutes, Ursula more about a person's career than they ever would know I could see and they wouldn't want me to see. Meaning they're hiding. Their, their headline is their job title, which it should never be. It should You are more than your job. There's no summary or the summary is weak or they have five jobs listed and they don't say what they do and they don't say what the accomplishments and the outcomes were. They're hiding. And, and I'll, on my courses, I'll say, okay, I'm looking at you here. Here's what I see. You're hiding. You don't know what you're great at. Um, you really want to make a change, but you don't know how to connect that to the story. Am I right? And they're like, oh, yes. Um, uh, this is what I want to tell women. Speaking powerfully about what you do does not have to sound like bragging. So here's the, here's the example I give. Quickly, if, and this is not trying to sell. This is just giving an example. If someone says, you know, there's a lot of coaches out there who work with women, well, why should I hire you? I'll say three, four things. One, I had an 18-year corporate career, so I understand high-level challenges in the corporate world. Number two, I'm a trained marriage and family therapist, so there's a deeper lens there. Mm-hmm. Number three, I had studied women for 15 years, and I've written the <laughs> book, now two books on women's <laughs> stuff. And I truly feel I understand professional women's challenges more than maybe anyone on the planet. Number four, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'm in the arena. I am actually having to live the most powerful you principles. Does that... So I ask people, does that sound like bragging? And what do you think when I say that, Ursula? Does it sound like bragging? It sounds like clarity to me. <laughs> that's it. It's, it's fact, not number three that I know more than any, but I feel like I do. That's a legit, that's a legit belief. But the rest, it's fact. And when you can look at, you know, I call it the 20 facts of you this weekend, sit down with a piece, of, uh, a pad of paper, and write down the irrefutable accomplishments that you have that no one can say you can't. You know, can anyone say I wasn't a vice president? No. Can anyone say I didn't get a master's in therapy? No. Write down these, these incredible things you've done as fact. And when you say them as fact, they're not bragging, it's not being a braggart. So women need to be so much better at this.
0: Yeah. Well, standing in that clarity too is attractive. And I don't mean in a physical sense yeah. necessarily, but attractive in the sense of it brings people to you because they know that you know yourself. They know what you what mm. you bring. And <laughs> I think that kind of clarity is very appealing. I um, love that. And yeah. I think it's also truthfully a filter.
1: If those yeah. four things don't resonate with you, you're not the right client for me, and I'm not the right coach for you. Right. So right. it it, exactly. it streamlines the entire attraction process. You know, am I attracting the right people? Yeah. If that resonates with them, then they want more, and they're going to get the
0: right thing from me. Yeah. Well, it was so much of what you've been talking about just now is is something you say in the book: becoming the highest, best, and most positive and powerful version of ourselves we can, so we can make impact we long to and help the world embrace more authentic, honest reality for all men and women. I love that mm. statement, and in in service of that, I I'd love to explore a little bit about um, what you talk about in in terms of distinguishing between mentors and sponsors because we're all familiar with mentoring, coachings, and sponsors. And I think you're right in what you say in your book in that we as women may be good at hiring coaches or even um, developing mentor relationships, but sponsors is another realm that I think at least I was terrible at it when I was in corporate and I, I see other women not being great at that either. We, we tend to um, kind of lean very heavily on the, the mentor and coach side. What are your, what are your thoughts it. on that?
1: Well, I was so floored when I uh, interviewed Sylvia Ann Hewlett who's you know an, an expert on all of these issues. And her research shows that women have three times as many mentors as men and men have twice as many sponsors. So let's a lot of people don't know what a sponsor is, what that term is referring to in my way of thinking. So a mentor is someone in your life where you've built a mutually you know beneficial relationship and they're offering feedback, advice, counsel, um, tips and strategies for, you know what you want to achieve. A sponsor is that plus one thing. They're powerful. They're influential. <laughs> Right. They open doors for you when you're not in the room. They make connections for you that you cannot make on your own. Now, uh, this is what I see as a corollary to why women have fewer sponsors. You know, uh, when we before the pandemic, when we were, you know, working together, physically, I would say to women, look, does your CEO or senior, you know, senior vice president do lunch and learns or are there meetings that you can sit next to that person? Oh yeah. Well, where do you sit in the lunch and learn? You know? And they, they never sit next to the CEO. Mm-hmm. They say they're in the back of the room as far away from that CEO as possible. So you know, I usually say, I don't care how scary it is, get next to the CEO. Then after the talk, Go up to him or her and show your thought leadership. Say, wow, that, that was moving to me. And here's what really stuck out. Demonstrate yourself. Demonstrate your thinking, your, your teachable point of view. And then if you're brave enough, you'll ask a question. So you can even do this on Zoom. Let's say the CEO is doing, you know, a, a weekly call and you might reach out afterwards and say, "Wow, that was that was really impactful for me and here's one thing you said that really stuck with me. May I ask a question?" When you do that, if they're a giving generous person and what you've said speaks to them, it's natural that they'll answer, they'll say, "Sure." Let's have a Zoom call or, you know, I'd be happy to answer that. And then you begin to demonstrate your potential with that person and form a relationship. Again, why, now why are men better at this? There's a lot of speculation on this, but I do think that from the beginning of time when men are boys, they're hierarchically minded. And some of this is neurobiology, but they're looking at who's got more power, who's ahead, who's higher on the ladder. Mm -hmm and they're they're getting next to that person. They're already looking at power differentials. Women are not looking at that as much. Uh, so it's more natural for men to do that. They're not as intimidated. And I have a real life example of this. I worked for eight years in a great book club company. It was Macmillan Book Clubs, and then it changed names a mm-hmm. few times. And I had been a competitive tennis player in high school. And I, I, I have this going for me. I'm comfortable with guys And, you know, boys would call me to play tennis, you know, they'd want to knock the number one girl off, you know, off the tent, you know, (laughs) I beat the number one girl and I'd wipe the court with them. And my mom would say, don't beat the boys, don't beat the boys, Gabby. And I said, why, why ever
0: not? She's, she's a woman of her time. Right.
1: But the point is, I was comfortable with men. And I was in the elevator with the president of the company who I was friendly with. And I said, how are you, Peter? how's it going today? And he actually said to me, you know what, Kathy, you are one of very few people that speak to me like a normal human being Mm -hmm. who aren't scared to talk to me. Mm -hmm. And I was 28. So um, we need to look at and connect with and be of mutual benefit to people that are a hundred steps ahead of us. And there, there are specific ways to do that, you know, the book talks about that, but you can do it on LinkedIn. You, everyone can follow Ursula's great work. Listen to this podcast, listen to every everything she's doing and comment on LinkedIn with something that spoke to you. I'm guessing you're going to respond to that, right, Ursula?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's only natural. Everyone wants to be uh seen no matter how senior they are or how influential they are they uh, everyone wants to be seen as a person and be have that kind of interaction with people so, i think so yeah most yeah. everyone <laughs> yeah yeah well that's a great story to illustrate that well i'd like to spend the, the last the couple of moments before we get to the rapid round just exploring your business a little bit and and you you mentioned this that there are seven principles that you talk about in the book and uh, and in terms of applying bravery how do you how do you do that for your business how do you apply bravery in your business wow what a question Um, You know, I, I I think that I've brought it
1: forward to the point where it's, it's there every day. Um, I have to be brave in in how I talk to clients. I have to be brave in how I hire and who I keep and who I don't. I have to be brave in, in uh, the partnerships I have. I, you know, even writing the first time I ever had a Forbes blog. I'll never forget it. The Forbes women editor wrote, I had something go viral through another blog on Forbes and she wrote, do you want your own blog? And I remember screaming inside my head, no, I'm scared to death. What do I have to say? But thankfully I said, yes. Well, you know, even writing a book, even reaching out to people you want to interview who are a hundred steps or 10 steps ahead of you, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's all bravery i i i think it's in the fabric of everything i do at this point now and it's mm-hmm. funny after writing this i had said to my kids holy crow i now i can't <laughs> not be brave i wrote this book <laughs> how can i not fire this person how, right? I, I can't live with myself If I don't do the brave thing, and for me, you know, for me, the brave thing is different for what than from what yours is or someone else. Speaking up and making someone unhappy and saying, "I, you know, we can no longer work together," and here's why—that's very difficult for me Mm -hmm. because I have always been a people pleaser, and I'm recovering from that. So I think for me, saying and doing the things that I know are going to make people uncomfortable—that's hard for me.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's not, it goes beyond people pleasing and you're relational right. and you're interested in relationships and, and what they mean for you. And so to be telling someone, you know, news like that, it's, it's deeply challenging.
1: And I'm also an empath uh, for a lot of reasons. So I can mm-hmm. feel what other people are feeling. And when you don't have the appropriate boundaries to go along with that, you're going to suffer. Because yeah. You're going to be too influenced by what they want and need and not enough influenced by what you need. So
0: hmm.
1: part of bravery also is building strong boundaries where you know where you end and the other person begins.
0: Yeah. Well, just a last question before we get to the rapid round. What is does, I, I mean, this speaks to the things you just talked about, speaks to a kind of leadership. And I wonder, what what do you think of when you hear the term impactful leadership? Mm. What does that mean to you?
1: You know, I wrote a post on nine core behaviors of people that positively impact the world. Um, and I can share that link with you. Impactful leadership has certain qualities. It's uplifting to all. It's open. It's honest. It's Emotional maturity, it's empathy and compassion. It's um, not tearing. If if a leader, in one second, goes to the place of tearing someone down who challenges him or her, you've lost it. You're not the impactful. And I want it to be positively impactful. Sure, you're negatively impactful, but. I'm looking at positive impact. You're uplifting others. You have mastery. You know what you're talking about, but you're open to critique. You embrace critique. It hurts, but you embrace it, and you're constantly on the process, on the journey of bettering yourself and, mm. and helping others
0: do the same. Mm. That is a great description. Thank you Thank for that. you. What a question. And it- and, it, and it's a wonderful segue to the, the rapid round of three questions about impact. So are you game?
1: All right, go for it.
0: <laughs> the first one is, what's the biggest thing you've learned about having impact?
1: Ah, uh, I think it would be that what I am experiencing, potentially thousands and millions are also experiencing. So share it, even if it's got you know, horny toads and warts, share the vulnerability. That's what mm. touches
0: people. Mm, that's great. That's so true. What's the one thing you've consistently done that's contributed to your success and impact the most?
1: I think the biggest thing is getting help. I stayed too long isolated, you know, isolating from influential support gap number four and and choosing the wrong kind of help. Help. Oh, he's an expert. She's an expert. They seem to be making a lot of money and knowing, but then I'd talk to them and go, "Ugh, I don't like it, but I'd stay listening to them. It's mm-hmm deciding who are the right helpers and going for it with Augusto and investing in myself,
0: I would say. So, so important. Yeah. Well, the last question is, what's one piece of advice or an insight you'd want to share with another business owner who's asking, how can I have impact? How can I positively affect my world? I think I'd I'd say, I've never answered it this way. Look at where you're trying to shortcut things.
1: Look at where your ego is overly attaching to the way you're doing it look at how you can pivot, be more flexible and address a burning need. And it might have to be different from how you're doing it now. If you're not having the success you're longing for, it's requiring change and you might be blind to it. Open your eyes to what's in the way of doing it differently
0: was great i love that entry into it by looking at where you're trying to shortcut things because mm-hmm. that's, uh, that's a really valuable perspective
1: oh, yeah thank you so.
0: well kathy thank you so much for sharing what you have today i think there's um wonderful um ideas and and very specific kind of advice on how women can address uh the issues that that we face in the in the business world, in your book and uh, in your work. So thank you for sharing that with us today.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you for the impact that you're having. And, And, you know, it's such an honor to speak with someone who's really dug into this content and has so much to share and so many rich questions. I thank you so much.
0: Mm, you're welcome. It's my been my pleasure. Well, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? And where can they find your book? All right. Well, I have two sites, KathyCaprino.com,
1: that has everything going on. And my podcast is at findingbrave.org. And you can get the most powerful you anywhere you love to buy books, Amazon, you know, any other online bookseller. Uh, and that's it. And you can find
0: that link on my site at KathyCaprino.com if you'd like. Great. And we'll include all of that in the show notes as well. Thank you. So thank you for the work you're doing in the world, Kathy. I so appreciate it, Ursula.
1: And I can't wait to have you on my show.
0: can't wait, yeah, i'm I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for joining me. If you want to discover more about your impact, you can schedule a business impact assessment with me. That's 75 minutes of focus on your and your company's impact and how you can increase it. Just email me at Ursula at workalchemy.com to schedule your business impact assessment. It's my gift to you. Join us for more episodes. Subscribe to the Work Alchemy Podcast on your favorite podcast app or on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts so you'll know as soon as new episodes are available. You can even help spread the word. Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts if you like what you've heard. Thanks for listening. Until next time, for ongoing support so you can have your own impact, join our community of leaders like you by liking the Work Alchemy Facebook page.